and welcome to the Otaku Host Club. My name is Amelia and I'll be your host today. On episode 2, we will be deep diving into the works of Masaki Yuasa as part of a continuation of episode 1. We will mainly be discussing Kaiba and how it relates to Yuasa's other works. Please enjoy your stay at the Otaku Host Club. Yeah, you should be recording. Yeah. All right, so it's recording now. That way it's just always, it's just on. Just think about it. Yeah, just keep it on and edit it down. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Where do you get your news? Anime News Network? Yep. Um... You know, I followed them on Twitter. I should probably turn on notifications because I like literally never even like get any anime news network on my feed, which is like the point of Twitter. Oh, they did. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Um, I'm pretty sure. And we can look this up if we want to. Um, I'm pretty sure that they canceled Comiket because of COVID-19. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Well, I mean everything's getting canceled i don't think that's any more or less insane than any other large-scale event getting canceled no but it's comic i mean it's a bummer yeah but but uh <laughs> have they ever everything canceled everything under the yeah but yeah they've been doing you know what i think is crazy is comic is specifically for dojins right yeah and it's harder to get into than like our anime conventions I was just thinking about that. Like, how many people go to comic And it's, like, just for doujins. Yeah, and how because... many people go to anime conventions? Like, for all of it. For every aspect of it. Yeah, but do- doujins are the spicy stuff, right? Like, if you if you want to get that hot shit, that's where you got to go. That and is I, true. I have to imagine that it's harder to get into because competition must be fierce, right? Like... You know, in comparison to you know what we would see at Otakon or Katsukon, you know, when it comes to like Artist Alley, because it's not necessarily as focused, I feel like, and it, well, I don't know, I, I've we've never applied to Artist Alley. I have literally no idea what the back end is like. So, uh, but I sometimes I get the sense that uh, it is not nearly as focused, or there's like a larger variation in in quality of work and and consistency of work and i have to imagine that that this giant doujinshi you know doujinshi whatever however you pronounce it doujin this giant doujin fest in japan must have you know like everybody in the the whole country is going berserk trying to get in on this thing and it's the biggest event for everyone so everyone is bringing their a game to try to get in right well, they pushed back the Summer Olympics, so it only makes sense that they would do this, too. The Summer Olympics in Tokyo? Yep. Yeah. Dang. I think Morgan and I are going to push back our trip, too. We were going to go in August, but now I think we will go in November. Well, November's pretty, though. Pretty cold. Bummer. It is cold, but... Wait, when was uh, the cherry oh. blossom? Now. It's now, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. So, what I'm what I'm actually curious about. Originally, Morgan and I were going out there to see the new Evangelion movie, which is supposed to come out in July, and then we pushed our trip back to August, 
and that was kind of me morgan doesn't really care about seeing this random anime movie that that's just me so i didn't want to raise a stink about it um and i was just kind of crossing my fingers like well maybe it'll still be in theaters by the time we make it over there and then i can see it uh but is this going to delay the release of the new evangelion movie in a manner that i mean it, it must not delay it that much or like you know if it gets delayed it'll only be delayed in so far as it'll get it'll be dropped the moment that theaters are open and it's able to be released is is what i imagine so probably november will still be too late to try to see it in theaters um, I, I feel like but, that depends on like um on how much they've already completed and how much they need to get done on production because re-zero i would assume had had at least you know a bunch of it already completed enough to um, continue with their second season release, but pushed it back a whole like another season, which is like three-ish months. So it could be the same for Evangelion. Maybe they're also three months back, and we'll push it back again, and then you'll be right in the in the target air window. But that would be pretty sick. It would make me happy if that's how it played out. Mm. I find it hard to believe that they still have such a large amount of work to complete on this movie that's supposed to be dropping so soon but i guess isn't isn't that supposed to be like the story of anime in general that everything mm -hmm. is kind of running right up to the last second and i maybe that's just the story of movies and film in general and and television in general and you know i just don't know because i'm not involved in these industries at all mm -hmm. uh, my hero my academia wasn't that postponed Push back. Hmm. Was it? I didn't even know it was still going on. Somebody told me it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just watched. Yeah, I just watched the most recent episode on Saturday. Oh yeah, I thought there were only going to be twelve episodes. <laughs> no, there's there's the whole school there's the whole school uh, <laughs> cultural festival arc after the overhaul arc. Oh okay. Whoops. <laughs> you would watch the overhaul arc and you're like well it doesn't get any better than this i guess i'll stop watching now <laughs> fuck the rest of this season <laughs> well i and, and maybe this leads into our discussion of things we are currently watching right yes i i watched the most recent episode and i've i've been watching on a weekly basis as they go through the cultural fair um, arc which you know I, I have not read ahead in the manga so this is all brand new to me I did think the cultural fair cultural festival whatever whatever it is mm. uh, the cultural festival stuff was yeah, Bunkasai. was that what it's called yeah in Japanese uh, word well I don't speak any Japanese so. <laughs> <laughs> the only Japanese I know is going Zawa 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 and a lot of my friends think that's really funny so that's that's all i got it should be your uh your ringtone or your voicemail Ooh, Ooh. yeah that would be good i, I just, think ringtone would be good like foreboding phone call <laughs> <laughs> i'll set that up <laughs> um yeah cultural festival stuff was entertaining i thought gentle was a you know pretty reasonable interesting villain uh 
it, they did a good job of balancing the fact that, you know, overhaul ostensibly is so difficult and not exactly overpowered, but is like, you know, arguably like one of the strongest villains that our crew has faced yet. And it's very difficult. And how are they going to beat this guy? And it's like a miracle that they won. And there's a little, you know, when you get in situations like that, you're stuck a little bit with this, you know, where do you go from there? You know, how can the stakes get any higher? How can the challenge get any higher? How can the walls get higher? And there's not always an easy answer. And I thought that the gentle and the cultural festival did a good job of kind of sidestepping that issue because gentle was not really, you know, he was not a particularly difficult villain from a strength standpoint and the stakes were not particularly high but it was emotionally endearing to watch all this right it was like just difficult enough you know there to have a interesting battle and have a little bit of strategy and they did a good job of kind of building the emotional context of you know why Midoriya was emotionally invested in the cultural festival and why he didn't want gentle to mess it up and gentle you know why gentle really wanted to mess it up and i thought that it made for a good story even if it was not like the most adrenaline pumping or the most exciting per se it still had uh, emotional resonance where they did not do well was the dancing part and i i remember i sent a group text to everybody about that too when I saw that episode because I, I do think that in this world where every hip anime show has a dance scene that is particularly fluid and well animated and everybody you know memes the shit out of it and copies it and we see people doing the dances at Otakon and Katsukon and whatever uh, I thought the dance parts and the, and the song parts in My Hero Academia really fell flat, and they weren't they weren't bad. But I felt like for a major franchise that has in the past thrown a lot of effort and energy into great action sequence and, and kinetic movement animation, that this was kind of a missed opportunity to bring out a different angle of my hero academia but also and and i mentioned this in the text too maybe there's just a sense that that is not really the point of my hero academia or that's not the target audience you know we're not looking the target audience is not people that are really into dance sequences it's people that are into you know fighting spirit and battles and so there's really no reason to put a lot of focus on this dance scene because the audience won't care about that so much so I can I can understand that angle. I think that's fair. I but, feel like sometimes they, pro well, I'm, I'm going to assume with My Hero Academia, they probably paid different animators to animate that. And maybe those animators, you know, weren't as up to par with, you know, yeah, sequences. It, I, well, I, when you say it like that, it does feel like this whole season has been bringing the B team because I felt there was a meaningful step down in animation compared to previous seasons mm. and that that is not i say that not because i am some great critical eye of animation because i'm not i say that because in previous seasons there have always been moments like um for example deku versus the fire and ice guy in the school battle 
there's always been moments where I felt like, oh, the animation here is like, is really stepping out, you know, like this is a really good looking sequence. This, you know, stylistically and fluidly like looks really good. And there were not moments like that in this. Well, I guess there were the, uh, the um, climax of Deku versus Overhaul was was kind of in that territory but it is it is eclipsed in my mind by the slideshow of the of um Lemillion versus overhaul and i i really thought the slideshow sequence was a strategic error on their part i thought that really could have been handled much better it was a poor judgment that. call mm. I haven't seen the dance episode that you're talking about, but I can relate that with an anime that I have seen. Um, I really liked Bang Dream. Um, mm. You can watch it on Aniplex. It's just about a group of girls who form a band, um, kind of like K-On, but less like endearing and more just like um, like fun. I don't know. K-On has such like a place and time in my in like my heart and like that so it's like a little bit more nostalgic for me like talking about k-on and like i really hold k-on in higher regard than bang dream but i also mm -hmm. really like bang dream um and uh bang dream is for the most part and like yourself i'm not a great eye for animation like yeah, yeah i'm just not but it's for the most part like 2d animated and then specifically for the the band sequence it they 3d animated it mm. which i felt like was like completely out of touch with the entire series thus far up until that point where they're playing in the band because you know you could have spent a little bit more time and effort um animating something in 2d and getting the nuances of the movements right like in k-on but instead you decided to 3D animate it and the movements were just so clunky that it like brought less feeling to their performance. Right. And then later on in, after the first season, so like for the most part, the, fir the first season is them being 2D animated during like normal time. And then when they're on stage, they're 3D animated, which after a while you kind of get used to that little switch and it doesn't seem as clunky or maybe like the animators just like got better at animating 3D animation um, for that. But then, in the second and the third seasons, everything is 3D animated, hmm. which is like, weird. Eh, it's really weird. Like, yeah. So this is the whole franchise. Yes. Video games. Yes. Dance games. Okay. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Maybe I'll download the uh, iOS dance game. Uh, it's actually like, I actually play the dance games all the time. I play the one on my phone like all the time it's but I really enjoy rhythm games like I really love Persona 5 dancing and Persona 4 dancing like I love those games um and like Miku because there's like a couple Miku games that are um that are rhythm games um but at Anime Expo last year they had an entire like uh Bang Dream Girls like guitar setup where you could purchase guitars that the girls use which is like so cool. Not that like I play guitar or anything, but like to have like Saya's guitar is like kind of really cool. 
I did not realize until last week that Persona, the Persona franchise was actually uh, kind of deep role-playing games. I thought they were all rhythm games. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they are... I guess that's what, that's what I get for only... Like, I don't know anything about it beyond the soundtracks. I listen to the soundtracks oh, all the, the time. The soundtracks yeah. are amazing. I play those at work sometimes if we don't have, like, normal music. Um, but, yeah, every Persona game is different. Um, I, um, and it stems from, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, don't come at me, but, um, the Shin Megami Tensei, um, games are the precursor to the Persona games, and then the Persona games, each Persona game is different, you have a different, like, role, and a different Mm. storyline, and, uh, yeah, you can, you can really deep dive into each, like, specific character that's in it, um, and Persona 5 is like literally like amazing. I love that. I've spent like 80 hours on the PS3 version of it when I had a PS3 and then I got a PS4 and I was like so excited to start it on the PS4. And then like, I realized that I spent like 80 hours of my life playing Persona, um, just Persona 5. Cause I also have Persona 4 Golden for my Vita and I mm. have Persona 4 dancing and Persona 5 dancing. So I play all those all the time. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't like start a whole nother Persona game because that's like going to be more than 80, 80 hours of my life. I think you could. I could. I, have I did set up you. my PS, I did set up my PS4 this week. So. Oh, yeah. Well. But yeah, as far as new anime that I'm watching, um, I just started this anime called monthly girls nozaki-kun oh yeah 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 i saw that actually i did watch that yeah i um i watched the first three episodes um i'm pretty sure i can't remember i might have fall asleep on that this is the one where the the cute little girl has a crush on the bigger guy that draws manga but he's completely oblivious to her feelings and yes he and hires her on as an assistant yeah I I thought that was really cute and and entertaining yeah I I was into it I'm a fan yeah it's another one of those anime that I like started I've watched the first episode like a few times but like I just like didn't get into it um but I'm like I made the commitment now I'm three episodes Mm. deep you know what I mean and it's pretty cute and it's about drawing um manga which like I'm also very much interested in that's like one of my other like favorite things to watch in anime is like uh how anime and manga and being a manga artist like happens behind the scenes like i really Mm -hmm. love animes that do that so i'm excited it's the character in uh in jojo um stan user who uses his comics to Basically, um, what does he do to them? Uh, well, he he. Uh, when you look at his comics, well, there's. <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of JoJo style confusion about this because if I remember this correctly, the when his stand powers originally introduced, the idea is that you have to when you look at his comics, then he can kind of reverse look into your mind right then you he like opens you up like a book and can read all about you and edit you as if he's editing a manuscript Mm. but as part four goes on he kind of quickly loses that that 
conditioned that you have to look at his comics to begin with. And he just kind of whips out a stand and his stand goes and opens you up like a book and you're knocked unconscious and he starts reading all about you and changing you and whatnot. Yeah, he stood out a lot to me for some reason. But he's, he, I think the, the word on the street is that he is the write-in character for Iraqi himself. Right, right. Ruhan, right? Yeah. Ooh, word on the street. That's what the streets are telling me. I'm connected. Oh. <laughs> I don't have one of those connections. Yeah, I haven't been watching anything new. I wanted to start Beastars. Um, oh, and when you start Beastars, it, it will consume your life and you will not watch anything until it is finished. I'm going to tell you that right now because the story is so good. And like, I wasn't keen on the animation really too much at the start, but like over time, like over like the first episode, you kind of like realize like how well everything moves, even mm. when it's like, because it's 3D animated and how that like really helps you build like personal relationships with the characters. Okay. Uh, oh. It's on it's on Netflix now, right? Yes, it is. To continue the Netflix style of 3D animations. Uh, well, Orange is a is a lot better than whatever Netflix has decided to do. Somebody uh described it as Wes Anderson-esque. Yeah, it's very much like uh what's that um animated movie? Fox and the with the with that thing? What? <laughs> the fox that like, Bambi? No, the fox that whistles that what like he clicks his teeth and whistles. What Pepe Le Pew? No, this is like a newer one. This is newer, newer. Oh but, um, word, okay. Fox Fox. It's um Fox News? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very like critically acclaimed, I'm pretty sure. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Yeah, that one. That one. Definitely not Fox News. <laughs> it is very much like that, that kind of like style. But Word. I feel like a darker story for sure. Well, maybe that's something we should all watch and talk about. Oh man, yeah, I, I would definitely rewatch that one. Oh my! God. I, ha I haven't seen it yet either, but I, I did just sign up for a Netflix account finally, oh, so I could do the yeah. Netflix party. You guys yeah. up on the Netflix party? What does that mean? It's uh, it's this. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on the streets. It's this Netflix add-on where you can have a group chat while everybody's watching the same thing. Oh hell yeah! And I've I've started doing that uh, with my friend Valerie and, and her boyfriend Jimmy, and we watch trashy movies and group chat about how trashy it all is. I'm pretty. I'm pretty particular about um, how I watch things, so maybe I would not like that. Like you can't ask any questions. There could be no talking. We'll just silently hear each other breathing and gasping at good moments. Yeah. Well, I I agree. <laughs> I would not want to watch something I was emotionally invested in in such a format. Yeah. But it's fun for, you know, watching that trashy kind of stuff, you know. Oh hell yeah. We can all watch um uh um what's that Japanese reality show? Terrace House. Terrace House. We can all watch Terrace House. Is it one where you're stuck in a house? Yeah, it's like real world, but like Japanese style. Yeah. So like oh. everyone's like really respectful, you know, <laughs> instead of trashy. Bring what that be. Oh, but it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. 
<laughs> Almost. So I also finished Stardust Memory, Gundam Stardust Memory. Yeah, okay. Uh, which I thought was real good. This is part of my year goal, my 2020 goal of making my way through the entire Gundam franchise. Uh, and I, I thought Stardust Memory was was rock solid. Uh, I was impressed that right off the right off the bat, immediately we are impressed upon us that Gundams are the number one coolest thing in existence, and there is literally nothing cooler than a Gundam. It's like one, you know, right in the first episode, everybody's geeking out about giant robots, like, "Wow, look at the new Gundam! Oh my God!" You know, and they're going through all the specs and looking at it all starry-eyed, looking at each other all starry-eyed. I'm like, man, you guys really pushing like these giant machines of war, you know, so cool. And on the one hand, it's true. There is almost nothing cooler than giant robots. But on the other hand, you know, if, if this is your day-to-day -day reality, I'm, I'm still not that down with the championing of, of war and, and these instruments of war as being so glorious and great, you know, like giant robots are cool because they're not real, you know, tanks are real and they're not actually that cool when they're like, fucking killing people and whatnot um but you know that's the difference between real life versus an anime show meant to sell products and right. sell merchandise and shit um overall i yeah stardust memory had me going the whole time opening and then you know opening and ending songs are particularly awesome i'm still listening to the two opening songs on a near daily basis so they get me hyped up I too want to be a man of destiny, you know. Oh, they're great. Uh, great. I was kind of thrown off by these these random forced plot twists, like when the lieutenant just dies randomly from damage to his Gundam from a battle five minutes earlier in the episode that you didn't really register. His Gundam took meaningful damage, but suddenly it did, and his Gundam blows up right as he's reading the enemy plans and he's about to tell everybody you know a big reveal and then he just randomly dies and it's like felt like that was kind of forced and also the um the blonde woman and gato being in a relationship prior to to the show that also felt like very forced and very uh unexpected in a bad way uh not that I object to that angle of of the story. Like I think that is a a good plot twist. I just wish that it had been foreshadowed or there had been something that uh, led us to that point a little bit easier than you know her coworker just randomly blurting out, "I know you and Gato used to be in a relationship," and then that's supposed to be this giant <laughs> reveal, and it's like, wait, what? What? Where did that come from? Um, I, I also, I question the emotional decision-making of some of these people. And so far as when the blonde girl, when the blonde woman chooses Gato over the main character, I feel bad. I never remember these people's names. <laughs> never in my life do I remember the names of these anime characters besides like one one or two characters I like so much. So you have to bear with me as I describe any show because I can't remember anybody's names. Ko is, uh, yeah, I mean. Ko, yeah. So Ko, when, when the blonde woman chooses Gato over Ko, when they're, you know, in the climatic moments of the 
of the series and they're they're in the colony trying to figure out how to stop the colony from dropping on earth or how to to keep it going and the blonde woman chooses gato and gives ko the shaft but then when ko sees her again you know year or two later they're they're back on the same page and they're clearly like still lovey-dovey for each other and those feelings are still clearly there you know there's a moment where the blonde woman looks unsure which i think is supposed to be a reference to like you know oh i've done this hurtful thing you know but actually it's okay because i still you know like ko and i don't know if i were ko i would be like we can be friends i guess you know but i'm not interested in pursuing a relationship with you <laughs> you know i would not be nearly as overjoyed to see this person uh a little bit after the fact did we need um that kind of romance in that show yes and i ruined it ruined it i don't think so i i'm i'm there i like it that's that was a big part of what i liked about it i you know i like love stories and i, I like the romantic angle of all this uh there were parts of it that yeah like i said could have built the blonde woman and gato a little bit better and i thought ko was like suffered a little bit from from the will they won't they style of of anime romance but overall i i was, I was real pleased with their romantic plot nino purpleton Nina, that's her name. Sorry. Yeah, Nina. Purpleton? Purpleton. Come on, Nina. Have you watched any of that, Amelia? Nope. You know, Gundam's one of those things where, like, there's so much. There's how could I ever possibly begin? You need to talk to an expert. <laughs> well, that's how I felt, too, until I just sat down and said, this is my year of the Gundam. I feel like this should be my year to tackle Full Metal Alchemist and JoJo. Yeah. Because those, neither of those I've seen, and I feel like I should have already. And I have watched the first season of JoJo, but I'm not like connected to that like period in time. So. Well, I am. I am ready to rewatch both of these franchises for the umpteenth time with you because okay, cool. those are both near and dear to my heart. So if we're gonna do all of this, you also have to um, watch some Moe shit. Yeah, I agree. Because. I, you have to watch some of it. I feel like I want to do a um, podcast on the difference between Lucky Star and Nietzsche Joe. Because that's strong feelings. Yeah, Nietzsche Joe is way better. No. Uh -oh. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that's why I want to discuss it. All right. So that that's what... There's an episode right there. We debate <laughs> Nietzsche Joe yes. versus Lucky Star. Oh, I, man. I didn't even finish Lucky Star. Oh, I, shit. I, I watched, it really I did even, not connect with me. I didn't even finish Nietzsche Joe. I watched the first three episodes. I was like, fucking <laughs> shit. Ew. Oh, dude. I, I thought Nietzsche Joe was actually laugh out loud hilarious. <laughs> I, I literally laughed watching it at work on my lunch break. <laughs> So Kaiba. Ready to talk about it? So Dan, you've seen Kaiba before.
I love Kaiba. I first saw Kaiba when I was a freshman or sophomore in college. Oh, I'm such a late bloomer. I have revisited the show many, many, many times in my life. This show is new to me and Jeffrey. Um, we both watched it um, recently. Yeah. So Kaiba is the first major work of this guy, Yuasa, who is a director that we all like. He's got a very distinct style of animation and a very distinct uh, kind of emotional atmosphere to a lot of his work. And Kaiba really exemplifies this stuff to a T. We have the very sketched out and you know, fluid and surreal character designs. The animation is very um, surreal. The color palette is very psychedelic. I feel like Every it's like very experimental animation. Like, yeah, um, just as far as like moving the characters. So the world of Kaiba is set in this kind of dystopian far-flung future, another galaxy, whatever, um, you know, alien planet. And in this future, we have gained the technology to manipulate people's memories and to store people's memories. Everyone gain, you know, everyone gets these artificial bodies with little memory chips and these memory chips contain their person and which is basically their memories. And you can remove the chip, you know, remove this person's consciousness and memories, put it into another body. Uh, when their bodies get killed, as long as the memory chip is there, they can be brought back to life in another body. Um, they are kind of able to live indefinitely by just moving the memory chip from body to body. And they are able to change their life on you know, from their own perspective by manipulating their memories, right? They can go back through memories and change them to delete the bad memories, add in good memories, swap their memories, swap people in their memories, uh, create different stories for themselves to make themselves feel good. Uh, they can create copies of themselves, you know, create copies of all their memories and, you know, uh, have a second version of them to do whatever with. And the story of Kaiba you know, as we begin the story of Kaiba, we start in an empty, you know, empty room. We're waking up with our main character. We have no idea who this guy is, and he doesn't know who he is either. He's lost all his memories. And he starts on a journey. You know, he gets thrust onto a journey by another character who we're kind of led to trust, but we don't really know who this guy is. We know that he's popular with, with the people around him you know, as he walks through the streets everyone's going oh popo hey popo how you doing man great to see you uh he's really a a, a, a champion of the people and he whisks our main character onto a luxury liner and says hey you got to escape this dangerous situation guy get on get on this spaceship and hit the road jack and don't come back because you can't you can't be here you're going to get killed and we don't really know why necessarily there's you know, a couple different um, foreshadows and hints at why, but these answers don't come later. Our main character gets on this luxury liner and the first half of the show 
he goes through this episodic journey throughout this solar system where he encounters, you know, different people with different problems relating to kind of the class politics and the philosophy of memory manipulation and body transition. You know, this is technology that is really only available to the rich and not always available to the poor. And we were stuck in this, yeah, very dystopian reality. And we explore it simultaneously with our main character and come to understand this world better as our main character starts to interact with things and slowly regain his memories. Then with the second half of the show, uh, he does regain his memories and then we're cast into this um, kind of political adventure slash love story. And we are led to this, this end point where our main character is faced with the apocalypse, with an apocalyptic scenario and has to grapple with his own kind of dark past and his own memories that that haunt him and his own emotional scarring in order to i guess overcome the apocalyptic scenario that he's confronted with and know how to be able to adequately respond to it to save save the human existence yeah so what did so, you guys think how much um, did you love it i 1000 percent um i'm not like I don't know. Like the character designs threw me off for a minute, like in the beginning, but I feel like there's no other way in which he could have told the story without characters that were so like kind of ambiguous. And I feel like it really like helped push the story along, not being caught up with like, um, I guess like how, not like how the character looks per se, but like, you know, how a character looks you know <laughs> like i don't know it's hard to describe like i'm not like worried about you know their facial expressions i'm worried more about their body expressions which i feel like is like really different mm. um, interesting yeah and i so my impression of the show is that it was only um licensed recently in america which is it didn't have a whole it didn't have a big uh following here and there was no TV, you know, release. If you watched it, it was what fan subbed. Yes. Downloaded off a torrent. Yep. Based As on it. a recommendation from the from the Nihon Review, which is like an anime review aggregator. Mm. They gave it a nine out of ten or a ten out of ten or something, and I I was just kind of going down the list of everything that they had given you know really high scores to. Uh, and Kaiba really stuck with me because of its because of its vibe, you know. And and I love the love you know I love the love story angle. I love the thematic density. I love the how smart it is as a show. I think it says a little bit about a lot of different things, mm -hmm. uh, and it is very like you know, artistically invigorating, right? Like, I feel like this is truly Yuasa style with the kind of, as you say, these like really wild sketched out character designs and really kind of loopy and trippy animation, uh, very psychedelic color choices. But what really gets me every time is just the overall ambiance and, and vibe of 
this like yeah quiet desperation and this kind of melancholic mm, yeah, like a melancholic post-apocalyptic dystopian feeling to everything the music really adds to that as well i think it's mm -hmm. got a really perfect soundtrack the whole way through uh it's a very dreamy kind of show but also it's very immediate and very brutal and the aesthetics and the vibe really mask yeah, the fact that the you know vanilla is just straight up often dudes left and right. People are getting butchered in every episode, you know, like because and and I think that's a very interesting thematic point of Kaiba that you know they have created this memory technology to preserve people's memories and you know to allow people to kind of live forever and live indefinitely. You can always bring back your loved ones. You can always shape your life in the way that you want you know alter memories to make the kind of existence that pleases you because life is just so precious and we can't waste it and and you know it's so important and who you know everyone should be able to live this fulfilling life but actually this technology has created the opposite scenario in kaiba that actually life is very cheap you know, people get killed left and right, and nobody really bats an eye over this because there's kind of this baseline assumption that, well, you know, who, who really cares? Because as long as your memory chip's okay, then you'll come back eventually. And you, that, that's fine, you know? Like, we can just go ahead and waste this dude. Oh, he didn't actually have a memory chip because he's poor? Well, that's really on him for being poor. So fuck that guy anyway, you know? There's a lot of, of class politic to Kaiba that is very understated in the show and that also is very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. I also feel like every character that you meet in Kaiba has something extremely dark that they're living with. No matter like be, no matter what the memories they have changed or decided to keep, you know, which I thought mm -hmm. was like really cool. Vanilla when he's doing that the kissy mouth makes me think of like the old, you know, like 50s uh, 60s uh, American animation. Mm. I did feel like that. I did feel like the character designs were very much either like um, like old 80s like Japanese animation or like old like 70s and 80s like the Jetsons like character type. Yeah, 80s. That's that's going way back. That's like even back to the 40s. Um, really? Like Steamboat Willie. Um, mm mm mm. 30s maybe even yeah i thought it was weird it was a weird juxtaposition for my brain because i was like thinking like okay yeah like this is just japanese animation let's go and then like i saw character designs that reminded me of like my childhood and like things i watched when i was growing up and i was just like put through like a little nostalgia trip so while we're talking about influences this is so evangelion influenced to a t especially when we get to the apocalypse scenario where they're kind of facing that the entire human race is going to be swallowed up by this giant plant. And um, Popo is standing up there like, we should be eaten by this giant plant so we can all return to one. I'm like, where have I heard that language before? 
you know? <laughs> I think I kind of remember somebody else telling me we should all return to one as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very, it's very directly Evangelion sense of apocalypse, which, you know, is very appealing to me. I too want to return everybody being one because fuck this stupid life you know Not the arbitrary uh, symbolism you know catholic religious symbolism you know yeah which is nice it just feels like it it's belongs in its own world um, you know what i mean yeah and it popo really is losing it by that point in the story right like when when we start the story he is very on the ball and relatively methodical and practical and he's very goal oriented. And by the time he reaches the top, he's really lost. He's lost everything. He lost his mother's memory chip. He has altered the memories of all of his friends so much that they're basically not his friends anymore. And the one person that really believed in him and always supported him, which he never acknowledged, which is a shame, right? That, the tall woman that was just organs inside a doll body, you know, was really into him and really looking out for his best interests. And Popo just shoved her, literally shoves her to the side and knocks her over. Uh, and then she comes up and shoots him in the back of the head. And is like, you were not the person that I thought you were. And I don't want to follow you anymore. You're not doing the right thing. And I, yeah, it's, no, well, I don't know. I mean, it sucks, right? I mean, I, I, you'd think that when you make it all the way to the top and you're kind of victorious that, well, I guess he wasn't really victorious by that point, right? He was still faced with these kind of overwhelming and insurmountable problems, but he had kind of deluded himself into believing that once he reached the, the, the Warp's Palace and once he reached the top of the planet, that that was it, you know, that, that he was untouchable from there. And, and that was the victory point. And there's one, there's one specific scene that I, I think demonstrates this so well, which is the scene where he, he, yeah, the scene where he knocks that woman out of the way and then grabs his, his childhood friend and is like, here, come to the window, come to the window. And he grabs her by the wrist and her memories have been altered so much. She barely even remembers who, who Popo is and doesn't remember anything about their childhood friendship. She just only knows Popo as being the grand leader of, of their organization. Mm -hmm. And Popo is really looking for emotion, emotional validation and intimacy here, but she can't provide it because he, he had erased all of these memories. So she's mm -hmm. not able to give that. Popo doesn't really care anymore. He's, he's so overwhelmed with this surface level ecstasy of, of, having been victorious, grabs her by the wrist and they're running and Popo trips on his cape and falls over. He fucking, he, he spills on the ground and just turns around and kind of like gives this, this kind of boyish giggle to the girl. He's like, <laughs> you know, and he, his facial expression conveys just this sense of like, like it's like watching a toddler fall and feel like, hey, look, mommy, you know, I'm so silly. And it is so at odds with the overall tone. And I say this in a good way. It is so at odds with the overall tone of that scene where they're looking at the Kaiba plant ending human existence and Popo's tripping on his fucking 
you know, royal cape and rolling around on the ground like a fucking child. And it's, yeah, it was really grotesque and is emotionally grotesque. And I too would have shot that little shit in the back of the head at that point, right? Oh yeah, like, for sure, totally, absolutely, totally feel that. I probably would have tried to do it earlier. He's he he was drunk with power at that point. He, yeah. you know, it's like with with all of the power that he had, he used it in the wrong way, and it bit him in the ass. Yeah, I was thinking also of uh, Metropolis, um, like with characters, character design wise. Um, Metropolis. Yeah, and the character yeah. who wears he's in red. I think his name is Red, and he he starts killing people with a with a piss with a gun, the forty five or whatever. And he's just just doesn't care. He's, he's like got a lust for power, a lust for blood, and he's just fucking people at left and right. Yeah, but eventually, you know, it doesn't get him anywhere. Mm. But the, those shows, um, I don't know if it's paying homage or not to. Astro Boy or, or whatever, Tezuka. I kind of get that that vibe with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. It gets boosted on my list of like top top shows that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's not really any there's not really experimental animation like this anymore, is there? Like it's air at least. Yeah, no, barely. And if the, if it, if it was experimental, we wouldn't hear about it. I feel like. Right. Yeah. That's well, not yeah. something that people talk talk about. Maybe that's a good segue, segue into uh, ping pong and his other work. So, yeah, yeah, because I and Kaiba is a good jumping off point. Like, I feel like the rest of the Yuasa works are thematically more um, linear. Uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, more plot linear, more thematically straightforward. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of steps forward with the animation, you know, whether it's to tie, you know, all, all of the, all of his works are pretty experimental in that way. They all have this, some, you know, this kind of signature psychedelicness and trippiness and, and sketchiness to them. Ping pong is definitely that way. Tatami galaxy is kind of like that. Uh, Mind Game, the movie that he did that I literally just watched before we got on this call, also very, very like that, very experimental, very all over the place in animation style and Mm -hmm. and visual aesthetic. I feel like that one is the closest thing to Kaiba, um, just because of um, how he tells that story in the same way that in Kaiba, they have a lot of flashbacks. Um, This main character also is having kind of like flash forwards like if yeah. he were to choose this one situation this is how it would go so i feel like that one is a, lot, is a lot like kaiba in that respect but i also just think that he has like this like ability to represent um intangible things with like like a very specific animation style that is apparent in in all of his work yeah 
and especially apparent in mind game. Yeah, I actually found mind game kind of hard to follow. I, I didn't understand all the character relationships, you know, how like they boss Yaku, the um, higher ranking Yakuza guy was actually the boyfriend of the soccer Yakuza guy's you know, mother and, and all this kind of stuff. I had to read it on the internet to figure that out. I, I understand all that stuff is visually presented to you in mind game, but it's just all those sequences are cut so fast and they're so fast paced. And mm -hmm. I think that's a movie that, yeah, would really benefit from repeated viewings. I did really enjoy it. I, I thought that was a, a rock solid oh, good yeah. watch. Um, I actually had watched it previously over at a friend's house a very, very long time ago and I rewatched it. Um, and I was just, blown away again all over again i feel like that one is just really great <laughs> yeah i mean all of his work is really good um and to to bring this back to our initial discussion all of this stuff is so categorically different than isoken right yes. and isoken is so much more straightforward well to be fair I feel like a lot like Isoken and Ride Your Wave um, and Devilman Crybaby are kind of all in that same like boat where he's kind of progressed into the more like newer style of anime, but like is still kind of retaining his older like visual representation. It's just in Isoken, I feel like his mm. way of bringing that kind of animation to the table is through animating a fantasy because it is something intangible. So he has the creative um, like experimentation to do that in that series. Um, mm. Same thing with Ride Your Wave. Um, Ride Your Wave is a little bit, uh, is a little bit more like probably the, the most linear story I've seen from him um, where this girl has moved back to her childhood town um, to go to college because she wanted to be closer to the sea so that she could surf. And that was like the thing that she liked. She liked riding waves. And um, she meets this uh, firefighter who they fall in love. And throughout the entire movie, they're getting closer and closer to each other. Um, but I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it or for you guys, because I'm sure you guys haven't seen it. But it is so good in the storytelling aspect, but it's definitely not visually as um, like complex as his older work. I would, I, oh, sorry, Jeff. I haven't seen it, but I, as far as, as the spoiler goes, I've heard that the spoiler is essentially the movie. Like It is, I can't say it. <laughs> yeah, I can't say it. Like, um, and also it's like probably up there with like one of the saddest things I've ever watched in my entire life. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Uh, like, now I really want to watch it. People say that Anohana was like the saddest anime. People say that Your Lie in April was the saddest anime. I haven't mm. seen Your Lie in April, so I can't comment on that. But like, um, it's up there with like, um, who did I write down? Um, a Silent Voice. Um, uh, yeah, that fucked me up. Yep. Yeah. Um, and. You're it's a kind of, I feel like if you're, if you're a person that likes your name and weathering with you um, and a yes. silent voice and all the yes. newer anime movies that are coming yes. out, this yes. 
is absolutely 1000% better than oh, any of this. Um, what? Like, like what? hands down. Like I cannot what? like I Yo, I'm going to watch I'm going to watch this movie and we're going to see if it's actually better than your name cuz I I ride hard for your name. I'm would, a big believer in your name. I I actually really like your name um but I really think this surpasses it in every sense of surpassing it. Yo, I'm going to I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that this week and I'm going to hold you to this. Your name is, your name fucked me up, man. I was this fucking will fuck bawling you up harder. in the theater. Oh Fuck, my gosh, like literally I was bawling for like the last the last hour of the movie. Like this Fuck. it's Can't wait. it's so like they he sets up the character so well. <laughs> All right, that's cool. And uh, yeah, yeah, as we talk about the saddest anime, Anohana definitely tugged at my heartstrings the first time I saw it when I was in like college or grad school or something. Uh but I rewatched it late last year. Uh and it was good. It still is good. It it did not seem overly depressing to me, or I mean, it is, but like, it didn't hit me as hard as it did the first time around. Mm-hmm. Your Lie in April definitely hits me hard every time. I've seen that twice as well, and I I'm a fan of this show. Maybe I should watch that one. I think you would like it, but still, it's there's one piece in Legend of the Galactic Heroes that is just like every time I watch this shit, I'm I'm dying inside. You know, I'm like yeah. I- Coming dehydrated from the manly tears streaming down my face. You know? I was like, maybe I'm gonna have to put ice on my face today for the rest of the day because of how hard I cried at this movie. And the only thing I've ever ha- cried really hard at for anime is um, Steinsgate, the new, the newest season of Steinsgate. Really, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, Steinsgate fucks me up every time, but like the newest season of Steinsgate, like kind of wrapped up. The really, series. Steinsgate Zero. I so I had heard that that wasn't actually that good. I but... don't. I don't know who those people are, but they <laughs> eat it. Really? <laughs> okay. It was good. I thought it was good. It was the story that I had been looking for in Steinsgate. Word. It was the wrap oh, yeah. up that I was looking for. I wanted. I this is the story that I wanted. <laughs> so, Hell yeah! Where the fireflies had me crying. Yeah, everyone everyone gets fucked up by that one. That one's like a classic. If you need to cry, watch that. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you my little anecdote about Grave of the Fireflies. Um, when I was in Osaka along the way, I went to a Studio Ghibli art exhibit that was production cells and kind of um, production drawings from all the big Ghibli movies, and a lot of them, you know, for like Princess Mononoke or uh, Laputa Castle in the Sky, Spirited Away. You know, they for one production spell cell, they would make these huge pieces. It would be like way outside just the you know page itself, and have it was really just exploding with life, and everything was really colorful and really bombastic and really full and busy. And it was clear it was like you know we're gonna draw this you know giant. Uh, you know, like practically foot by foot, uh, 12 inch by 12 inch square of, of image just for, you know, an eight and a half by 11 page, you know, mm-hmm. and Grave of the Fireflies stood in stark contrast to the rest of these movies and it had tons of negative space and really minimal drawing and aesthetic. It was not nearly as busy or as vibrant as the other ones it was much more subdued and toned down even in these early stage production drawings and it really captured the 
feeling of that movie and how different it feels from a lot of the popular Ghibli movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that minimalist style is, a, is it's in a lot of Yoasa's works, even though it's abstract and surreal. Um, everything's flat. It's very flat and sort of two-dimensional, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's got to be, it's got to be a, obviously a conscious decision. Um, it's a style. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that, well, you know, and that too is the fact, um, how many of these shows and movies did he make are actually all of his creations are not adaptations, kind of ping pong is adaptation, cry, you know, cry baby. Devil adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that, but I feel like being a director on those things lends itself to having the end all be all say of like how the series or like movie like pans out. Like he is the one that is saying, do this and do that. And this is how I want this scene set up and this is how I want it animated. So I feel like being a direct, if you know, being a director on those things is like almost being like his. Yeah. I do want to go back to something that you said, Amelia, that you would link, you would place Devilman Crybaby next to Izoken and what was the, what was the movie we were talking about? Ride Your Wave. Ride Your Wave next Mm -hmm. to, Isoken and Ride Your Wave as being mm-hmm. a more modern sense of, or, or I guess a more stereotypically modern sense of anime in comparison to his earlier works. But I actually think Devilman Crybaby is much, much closer to Kaiba than it is to Isoken. Mm-hmm. I think the the sketchy this like sketched out animation style is very yeah very Kaiba, and also just this like, you know. The apocalypse, the apo- sense of apocalypse, sense of this like suppressed melancholy that permeates through everything is very Kaiba-like in my yeah, opinion. I feel that. But I, but the the character designs as far as like Devilman Crybaby and Ride Your Wave are pretty similar. They aren't very similar oh, to Isokin, okay. but the stories, the story in Isokin is linear in a sense of the way the story is linear in Devilman Crybaby and Ride Your Wave. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, yeah. Um, in episode four of Kaiba, um, you remember where they, the two brothers, the two twins, find the treasure box? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, so, they're so focused on what's in front of them that they, they lose track of what's around them. And they find that box, and they're like, "Oh shit!" Then they dive for it, right? They're, mm-hmm. they, they, there's two pictures in there of their family, and they, they go, "Oh, it's just a bunch of junk." And there's two photos, or a couple photos of uh, their family and mom and dad, and it's like they completely missed a point. Um, oh man, yeah. And that parallel, that, that I'm just thinking of Devilman Crybaby, right? Mm-hmm. And how um, uh, Akira is just left alone. And yeah, he's uh, power hungry, and uh, he loves these characters. At the end, he realizes that, and it's too late; they're gone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought that, like what you said before, uh, thematically, maybe that doesn't translate or doesn't really end up in Azekin, from what we can tell, right? So far, but I wonder if that's because it's written out or. 
that's actually in the in the, the manga hmm. of Isaken. I don't know. Is Isaken an ongoing manga? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The art style is very similar. They kept a lot of the um, original look. Yeah, it has five volumes. Five volumes. Yeah. Um, I can't tell if it's ongoing still. Hmm. Oh, there's a live action adapt adaptation coming out in May. <laughs> Yeah. I, oh, I mean, nobody likes those, but I love them so much. I think they're <laughs> weird and good at the same time. Like weirdly good and like a guilty pleasure of mine. Like the non-alive actions. Oh my God. Like, well, and well, I, I, think, I think a lot of this topic hinges on how much these stories rely on animation to tell their story. Mm -hmm. Nana could you know comes across well as a live action movie because it really doesn't hinge on animation to communicate its its thoughts and and feelings you know it's a story that could be replicated by real people doing real things that's different than like full metal alchemist for example or uh, with, even can you imagine a live action yeah uh, yeah there's no way you can tell this kind of story in a live action setting it's, it's just not possible yeah i think sure. and i question i guess in theory isokin shouldn't work because it's too fantastical and the nature of the animation does a very good job of differentiating kind of what is quote-unquote real life and what is quote-unquote fantasy life because you see a difference in animation and art style mm -hmm. when they're going through their daily lives as students versus when they go on these tangents into their creative minds where they're interacting with all these different things there's a, a meaningful and obvious difference you know between how these scenes look and feel and operate I am not sure that that could be tastefully replicated with a live action version, but Isokin doesn't go off the deep end with these tangents. Like the things that are, you know, kind of tangented in Isokin, like the girl fighting the tank or the Kappa aliens versus the human beings flying, they're flying around in spaceships mm -hmm. and these are things that have been done in live action movies and look great. So feasibly they could pull this off and have it look pretty good if they had the budget for it, you know, mm -hmm. budget for good special effects and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea out the gate in comparison to other live action versions. It's cause it's grounded. It's, it is grounded more in reality, even mm -hmm. though differences are, you know, abstracts or whatever they, yeah. Yeah. I could see these characters come into life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you say, Amelia, that that's categorically different than something like Kaiba or even like devil man Crybaby, mm -hmm. uh, which there is no way to tell these stories in a live action setting. And I, yeah, as you, as you phrase it this way, Jeff, that these things are grounded in reality. I mean, on the one hand, that's true. Kaiba, Kaiba, you know, Kaiba, for example, clearly not grounded in reality. You know, it's not taking place on Earth. Not, yeah, you know, it doesn't necessarily have our same laws of physics or anything like that. You know, but it is 
grounded in real human emotion. It you is, know? it is. Like yeah. it, it, it feels real, real feels like- to mm-hmm. me in a way because of, I don't know, like how nuanced these people's experiences are. Like, you know, don't we all know what it's like to live in a, you know, this classist dystopian post-capitalist reality, you know? I will say, um, Yuasa is very good at animating club scenes like in Kaiba and in Devilman Crybaby and in Mind. Yeah, Game. that's true. When they go to the party planet and they have yeah. the guy, the huge muscular guy with like, he's got six arms with six different girls and he's like, you too could have a big muscular body like this <laughs> on the party planet, bro. <laughs> he is so good at animating those like dark atmospheres and uh, music and he's good. And I, I also think that Kaiba is surprisingly good at being self-consistent within its own world. And one one little detail that I've always liked is that they, you know, they introduce um, Patch and I guess Patch is the dog. And then there's another guy, the cat guy, that's the body creator. Mm-hmm. And they make a big point about how the cat guy is this huge celebrity and everybody's going nuts for his bodies and he's pumping out bodies at a feverish pace and he's at the cutting edge of fashion and culture and the um the head of of the factory says yeah we even made little toys of his dog patch and they sold like hotcakes you know they that was crazy popular then you know five episodes later we see a flashback of nero in her childhood and she has the little patch doll you know she's got the little stuffed patch i i always like that little tidbit i also like the story of crazy cat designer guy it was very like i fucking hate the memory system and i'm gonna design the most useless bullshit ugly ass bodies and i'm gonna you know wreck i'm gonna make people's lives supremely inconvenienced by forcing them into these crappy bodies that nobody will like you know just watch me uh, sabotage society by making this this tasteless bullshit bodies but in the end his art is completely um, I don't know like it he, it's not like he's selling out because he's not aware that he's so popular and he's not aware that he's actually rich it's other people that handle all his finances for him but yeah he uh, his his warfare has been what's the word I'm looking for when the corporations um, take over your stuff? People always talk about how uh, commodify, maybe that's what I mean. They commodify. Um, like in, um, in uh, Carol and Tuesday. Oh, I haven't seen that one. But yeah. Pat, you know, cat guy is co- totally un- unaware that his entire task, his entire goal has been commodified by a giant corporation and that he's actually feeding into the very, you know, capitalist system that he hates so much. You know, Mm -hmm. he's completely unaware that actually his stuff is trendy and is benefiting, you know, the guy that runs the factory. And nobody actually thinks this stuff is sabotaging their modern lives. It literally is their modern lives. It's the apex of their modern lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, that's very, that's real, right? Like that happens all the time with, with um, underground culture that everything, you know, all rebellion gets commodified in the end, you know, like it starts as a rebellion, but the more successful that rebellion is, the more 
you know, the larger quantity of people that buy into it and, and believe in it, then it starts to gain traction and momentum and people see that there's money to be made and then it all kind of tumbles downhill. Mm-hmm. And the wealthier are the ones who have the, you know, the money to buy these bodies, right? Yeah. Modification. Yeah. So Yeah, I agree. That. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's scarily realistic, but whereas uh, Azekin is believable in the sense of like, t- it's tangible in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Kaiba is, that's what makes good artwork, right? That's what, make good, that's what makes a good piece of art, where a lot of anime is not really art, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but I think the show is closer to reaching that definition. I feel like Isaacan is still more artful than a lot of anime that are airing. Yeah, I agree. Visually. Mm-hmm. But I think thematically too, that Isaacan is tells a really good story about people that are passionate about their craft and are just taking their, their first steps into bringing their passion to a, a practical Tangible thing, yeah. Yeah, into a tangible product. Now, when I watch Isoken, I feel like that that the emotion and the journey is not so far removed from like when I was in high school playing in crappy bands. You know, when I made my first record. Yeah. At least the question does art have to mean anything, right? Like, does it have to have substance? Because clearly the guy who's making these bodies who um, doesn't know that they're being um, revered in such high regard, he's making them for a specific purpose that's completely opposite of what's actually happening. So is it art? Well, my, my personal take on this stuff is, yes, it is definitely art. And it's all, it's all art, you know, it's all human expression, whether it has some deeper meaning or not, you know, I think school days is a fine piece of art, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful, great piece of art right there. And it doesn't have any deeper meaning and it's kind of stand opposed to having any deeper meaning. There's nothing really to gain from that, from in some like philosophical or thematic standpoint, or even an emotional standpoint, but uh, it's still, you know, it's still an expression, you know, it's still, yeah, an expression of the human experience in a certain way. And I, you know, as we think of like Fist of the North Star, you know, that was a great piece of art and not really because it's, you know, some emotionally in-depth thing, but I think it it's more than just entertainment in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel like Isokin is more than entertainment? Yes. I agree as well. I just feel like it could be a teaching tool. What? A, a teaching tool? Mm. I could imagine showing it to a classroom. Being like, this is a, these are the basic steps, you know, or like breaking it down. Could you do this if you can't leave my class? <laughs> do you have the dedication? I don't think you do. Oh, I have a question for everyone. Yeah. As we're talking about Kaiba and creating 
your own memories. Would you create your own, would you change your memories if you could? Or your body? Would you just haphazardly switch them out? Would I change my body? Yes. I would like to get rid of my man boobs and my katakuri fat chin. And no matter how much I exercise, uh, these things just never seem to go away in the way that I want. And what about your memories? Well. Because in Kaiba, it's a, it's, it's a luxury. It's an item that, you know, people with money can obtain. Yeah. Would I get rid of, would I change my memories? I mean, probably not. Because it seems a little inauthentic for mm -hmm. the way that I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. But certainly there's plenty of memories that I wish I could remove, but is there value in removing them? I'm not so sure because it's these memories that play into, you know, mm -hmm. are a part of who I am today. Mm -hmm. And I like who I am today. So I don't necessarily want to change that. Same. What about you, Jeff? Mm, well, memories, um, they're not very reliable, are they? Um, I think for a lot of us, they, we make up our own memories. Mm -hmm. and it happens, or we, we embellish on them. Um, so the perspective, your perspective is different from someone else's perspective, right? Mm. So maybe in that sense, I would change it. Like if I could have someone else's perspective uh, and change like from their, their eyes and maybe that would in, uh, make me a better person. I don't know. Hmm. I understand what you mean. I can't say if I would change my memories. Yeah. That's a hard question because you don't think we don't really think about that mm -hmm. daily basis. Our bodies, on the other hand, bodies fuck fuck this body. Give me a new body. <laughs> Give me a new body. I'm ready. Give me Chronico's body. I'll live I'll live like Chronico for the rest of my life with them low waist jeans and them cute pink boots. Mm -hmm. Chronico's boots. Yes, please give me your boots. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's the most notorious episode of Kaiba. Like it's, that's the single episode that, that everyone keeps going back to. That's a real heartbreaker. I mean, that is like the, ep the, I mean, I cried, so. I feel you. Pretty iconic. I feel like I can really feel the want to be wanted and to think that, you know, everything is good and your family's doing all that they can for you. And then like to have that not happen, but like not be able to have that realized is like kind of crazy. Yeah. And as we think about changing our memories, that's the big dynamic there, right? That the mm -hmm. mom is constantly changing her memories to erase all the bad parts. And, mm -hmm. but still her body, her body kind of retains this information, right? Even if she's not conscious of it when she's asleep, she's still tossing and turning and, and kind of fever feverish and, clearly has a lot going on um, subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I feel like it says a lot about, um, about the way the story progresses with people. Um, and they kind, they, kind, they kind of hint at the bodies like keeping a little 
bit of the memories or a little yeah. bit of like the desires of the person that had them. So I feel like, um, yeah, that's probably, that's pretty indicative. I don't remember what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, but I under, I understand what you mean. I, yeah. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Like which body? Which body is original at that point? Like what? Mm. That's the hard part. It's yeah. like is anybody original? You know what I mean? Yeah, and and this plays out in a certain way with warp specifically. That you know, because there's countless warps. You know, warp keeps getting cloned over and over again because it's only one. I think they said it was one in every 2,000 warps has the specific genetic characteristics that are needed to be, you know, warp king of existence. And so they keep, you know, pumping out different copies of warp that all have the same memories, but they know that they're not the correct warp. Thus, they know that they're going to get killed off eventually. You know, they know that they're just a temporary warp and their existence is going to end eventually. But then, yeah, the warps that get discarded, you know, uh, if they don't get killed off and they manage to escape, then they've all rallied together and joined each other. And they're like, hey, you're warp. You're warp, too. And you're also a warp. So let's, you know, let's all hang out. And, then, you know, if we combine forces, eventually we can kind of we can maintain the power that we have. And eventually we'll make our way back to the palace and regain all the power that we used to have. Hmm. yeah like what what is the yeah who what is the meaning of of being the original warp or you know like when you have countless copies of yourself you know do they have value i mean yes i guess because they're each independent existences that ought to be respected uh, but the universe of Kaiba certainly doesn't respect them very much. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're kind of seen as being um, transitory and temporary, and to be discarded when their you know usefulness is up. Like Ray and Ayami from uh, yeah, right? yes, disposable. I feel like there was something else I was going to say about Kaiba, but has exited my mind. There's a lot to say about that show, isn't it? We could do. Well, it's it's a show that has a little bit to say about a lot of different things, and the other Yuasa shows I think are much more focused. Mm -hmm. That's the word I was looking for earlier. They are much more thematically focused. Tatami mm -hmm. Galaxy is really zeroed in on you know this this Buddhist sense of living your best life, and you know ping pong is really thematically zeroed in on you know, kind of what it means to be the best and what it means to sacrifice in, you know, for your craft. And Kaiba spends a lot of time meandering through a lot of different topics that, that we've touched on, right? You know, talking about uh, classism and, and greed, talking about sexuality and, and gender, uh, talking about the kind of ethics and philosophy of, of memory and, and the human mind. And yeah, do I, do I think it would benefit from being more focused? 
no. I think it works really well as it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that the first half of the show is just kind of this gentle stroll through the world of Kaiba that touches on a lot of different things. And then at the halfway point, it kind of zeroes in on the political plot line that, that starts to come up. And it becomes much more plot oriented from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very well crafted story for that reason. Plays plays the best of, of both worlds. And I love I love the uh, I think the the love story of Nero and Kaiba is told very well for being ultimately kind of brief. Right, it doesn't have that much screen time, but it's really emotionally impactful, and it really resonates with me personally. I think they make the most of kind of the limited time that they have given to developing this character relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that Nero is a little bit of an outsider within her organization, and, and she says that she explicitly says, "I feel like I have no one I can talk to. I feel like I'm an outsider. I feel like I don't fit in here." Then Kaiba mysteriously crash lands, you know, next door, and she's like, so suddenly there's another person that also doesn't fit here, and is also an outsider, and also uh, is is separate, and that's someone that finally I can relate to and open up to and talk to, and and I see in a very practical way, you know, it's like, you know, I, I see how their budding relationship makes a lot of intuitive sense, and and how that plays out so well. Hmm. Well, because it started from childhood. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and what what do we think about the wheelchair guy creating separate identities for Nero? There's Nero because there's Nero, and then there's Hyohyo as well. Hyohyo being Nero's untouched memories, and her. I guess it's within you know within show logic would say these are Nero's untouched memories before you know that that the memories currently in Nero are is the Nero that has been edited by Popo mm-hmm. and Hyohyo is the unedited Nero. And I, I think in a larger thematic sense the idea is that Hyohyo is the Nero that remembers <coughs> it's like all of Nero's feelings towards Kaiba mm-hmm. personified as this little flying con- um, companion. And yeah, Nero is the Nero that never knew Kaiba. Well, and Hyokyo stays with Kaiba almost the entire time. Yeah, but then Hyokyo at the end, see, you know, kind of chooses the wheelchair guy. Because the wheelchair guy does, in the end, confess his feelings to Nero. And Hyokyo doesn't exactly abandon Kaiba, but like <laughs> the. Let me see if I can try to exp- explain. <laughs> It's difficult because it's it's like two versions of the same person, right? But mm-hmm. the the Nero Nero goes to the palace to rescue Kaiba and to tell Kaiba, like, look, your mom actually loved you and your mom has been with you this whole time and, and all these dark memories that haunt you, you know, you did have light in your life. It wasn't all darkness. You know, you're you're not just not remembering things correctly, you're not understanding things correctly. And Hyokyo Nero stays with the wheelchair guy, and the wheelchair guy confesses to Hyokyo Nero, and Hyokyo Nero 
doesn't doesn't run off to Kaiba. He spent the whole show with Kaiba, but in the end, kind of yeah, chooses the wheelchair guy and and decides that she really ought to yeah make sure the wheelchair guy is going to be okay. And, and she does. That that's the epilogue is that Hyo Hyo kind of swallow like manages to swallow up the little memory beads as they're floating up to the sky when wheelchair guy dies and then mm -hmm. she flies back to his apartment and kind of magic magically reinserts those memory beads back into wheelchair guy's body which doesn't necessarily make sense but is clearly what they are trying to communicate i actually see that happen um but the wheelchair guy gets a fucking robot body yeah and the fact that it now that was the best part for me it was this reference to uh giant robo mm. you know and just uh, old robot shows in general like shooting the fist off right yeah um and it gets down to like the head floating around which is another reference uh, to me is maybe gundam the original gundam series right that you know the head of um i forgot the name of that gun uh of that mobile suit but it's floating around and shoots a beam out <laughs> of mm -hmm. face to, to hit the original mm -hmm. rx-78 um just like little nuances like that that i really enjoyed And I guess the rest of Yuasa's work really hasn't been that referential. Like as we as we discussed Kaiba, you know, we brought up yeah, Giant Robo, Gundam, Evangelion, Astro Boy, um, all sorts of you know, Metropolis, all all sorts of past works that he's drawing influence from. But we we couldn't really make the same arguments about Tatami Galaxy or Devil Man. I mean, Devil Man Crybaby, like it's a little bit different because it's a adaptation of a prior work as uh, a reimagining of a prior work. But in general, we don't see the same kind of obvious melding of influences. And I think that's gotta be just, you know, the, the realities of like, this is your first effort and you're like just taking all your favorite things and melding them together through your own lens versus as the years go by and you develop your own style and, and start to find your own personality. Well, I gave him a lot of freedom after uh, he did that, right? <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. They're just like, sorry, dude. That's it for you. No one else. Because I wonder how popular it was, you know? Like, did it sell stuff? You know what I mean? Like, well, merch? I don't, I don't think it was that. It I has mean, a garage kit. There's one garage kit for uh, Chronicle. Okay. Ooh, I want that. I know it's it's so good. It looks so good. I would get it for Nero, but not for Chronico. There, I think no. There's a Chronico, and then there was supposed to be a Warp one that was released, but I haven't seen pictures of that one or if it got released. Mm. Yeah, I I haven't seen much in the way of Kaiba merch, or I don't know. I feel like Kaiba. Uh, as we've kind of mentioned before, Kaiba is often overshadowed by Devil Man Crybaby or Ping Pong oh. or these shows that are kind of more critically acclaimed or they're more fan popular. Mm -hmm. But I, I roll for, I ride for Kaiba the most. Uh, from all of the ones that I've seen, Kaiba, Kaiba is it. It is it. I mean, Ride Your Wave is really good, but. 
they're from i feel like they're two completely different things yeah the next time the next time we record one of these i will have something to say about ride the wave i'm i'm gonna let you know if i think this is because i your name is really something special in my opinion we're gonna see if that's really as good or rather i will see if it's really as good <laughs> i really think it's i think it's better those big words and they have the same kind of like character d- dynamic as devil man crybaby You've got like the blonde-haired um, guy versus the dark-haired guy, kind of thing. Word. But it's good. Get some tissues. Have them handy. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse, you know, my dad's the same way. My dad also is like very apt to shed tears in a movie. You know, oh, shed tears of TV, and I, I definitely inherited that from him. I am, I am shedding manly tears at the drop of a dime. You yeah, know, I get like, made fun of for how emotional I am when I'm watching stuff. Like if yeah. it's a happy moment, I'm literally smiling from ear to ear. If it's a sad moment, I'm like bawling. Yeah, me too. Everything shows on my face when I'm watching anything. Yeah, same. But I, I generally, I can't. Generally, I'm not that way if there's other people around, and that's part of why I really prefer to watch this stuff by myself, because mm-hmm. when I'm by myself, I can really let myself get sucked into the moment all the way, but if there's somebody else there, then it's not really about your relationship. It's not, it's not really about your relationship to this media, to this piece of art, but like the both of you experiencing this art at the same time, there's like yes. a totally different dynamic to it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, Stephen interrupted me a couple times, um, and <laughs> the, the last time he was like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I'm just watching it. It's really good. It's really sad." Yeah, I think the one. So the one that fucked me up the most was me and my ex girlfriend watching one of the se- the season finale of Grey's Anatomy, where they're in a plane crash. And it didn't fucking matter that she was there. I was like curled <laughs> up in the fetal position on her lap, like bawling my eyes out. Dude, that, that shit fucked me up, man. You just get that so attached to characters sometimes. Yeah, I know, like, dude. You, yeah. I feel like I'm them. I'm like, damn, I just lost a loved one. Like, what am I going to yeah, do? For real, for real. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to us deep dive into the works of Masaki Yuasa. On our next episode, we'll take a look at the breakout anime hit, Beastars. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is a must watch and one I'm super excited to talk about. If you enjoyed your time here at the Otaku Host Club, please consider subscribing. You can find us on all of our various social medias at Otaku Host Club. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye!